Have you ever been putting something together and you come across a little piece and you're not sure what to do with it and so you just kind of put it aside and you're thinking that this must not be that important. And you get whatever it is all together. You get it put together finally after a lot of time and effort and you realize that little piece was important. You realize that several steps back you missed an important little tiny piece. You're focused on getting the big parts together and getting the, the frame set up and you miss this little part that turns out to be important. As we come to our passage this morning, it's like one of those little tiny pieces. It doesn't seem to fit the context of what John is trying to do in the book of John. It seems to me, if I were writing John, that it would have been better to go straight from the, the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus takes the bread and he multiplies it and he's met their physical need straight into later on in, the book, in chapter 6 where Jesus says, now I am the bread of life. So why does John break to add verses 16 to 21, this story about Jesus walking on the water. It's not that it was an unknown story. It's included in, in, in Matthew. It's included in Mark. It's not necessarily that John had to connect how did they get from here to here. Because last week as we moved from John 5 into John 6, he skipped over a year. Why does John include these verses? And I think as we come to this passage, it will become very clear. Because this helps us to see that Jesus truly is the Son of God. It's an encouragement. It's the grace of God to his disciples, as we'll see. Proclaims that this is the Lord who has power not just over sickness, not just over bread, but over the winds and the waves. Power over nature itself. As we work our way through this passage this morning, we'll see the storm, the struggle, and the Savior. Sound booth, if you guys could just... I can't see the screen, so if you can just move through the, the slides as we get to them. Um, but the first thing we see here is the storm, verses 16 to 18. So as you come out of verse four, 15, we'll start in verse 15. 15 kind of sets the scene. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come to take him to force to make him king, so this is at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, Really, the probably 20,000, as we saw last week. This crowd has been stirred up now. They're going to come and they're going to force him. They're going to take him by force and make him to be king. And so he departs again to the mountain by himself. I don't know if you caught that last week. The, the end of verse 15, he departs by himself. And so then you're thinking, well, where are the disciples? Well, verse 16 steps in and tells us. When evening came, so it's the same day as the feeding of the 5,000. It's the evening of that day, and his disciples went down 
to the sea. So Jesus is alone. He's off. He's in the mountains by himself. Mark 6.46 tells us that Jesus went away to pray. He has purposefully separated himself from the crowd. He's purposely separated himself from his disciples. He's purposefully gotten alone to spend time with his Father in prayer. Notice that it was a priority to Jesus. He made it a priority. He purposefully separated himself. He didn't just, well, as the opportunity comes, I will pray. No, he stepped away on purpose. He made time. It was a priority for him. So then the question is, well, well why does Jesus send his disciples away? Not, why not include them? Why not let them see him praying? Like he does in the Garden of Gethsemane where he takes them with him a little ways and he goes a little further, but they, they can see what's going on. How important this is to Jesus. This is a great teaching opportunity. Matthew 14 22 tells us, but he makes them go away as he dismisses the crowd. Why does he do this? As Todd was reading earlier in, in Mark 4, his disciples are still understanding who Jesus is. They're still understanding everything that is going on. They're picking up bits and pieces as he's teaching them and as he's, he's doing these, these miracles. And in Mark 4, before Jesus comes to this point, the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water, in Mark 4, in Matthew, it's chapter 8, and then chapter 14 is the walking on the water, the feeding of the 5,000. So, so Jesus calming the storm happens before this. And at that point, we see them saying, who is this man? They're still, they're still grasping this. They're still coming to understand it's very possible that as the crowd is, is, is worked into a frenzy here, as they want to take Jesus and to make him king, the disciples are, are, are getting excited with them. Finally, it's time. The kingdom has come. They're getting excited. They want to they see Jesus become king. And we, his disciples, will be his right-hand men. This is going to be great. That's not what happens, though. Jesus dismisses them. Guys, you go, get in the boat. I'll meet you over here. And then Jesus sends the crowd away, and then Jesus goes alone to pray. Put yourselves in the shoes of the disciple at this moment. They, they must have had doubts. They must have been struggling at this moment. Jesus, we, we, we know who you are. We, we've seen these miracles. We've seen what you've done. This is a great opportunity. You have a crowd of, of 20,000 people ready to make you king. This is the opportunity. The kingdom has come. What are you doing? Have we been wrong all along? Are you not who we think you are? It would have been easy for the disciples who have been swept away in the excitement to be, to be tempted to dwell on what could be instead of the reality of, of what is. This is what I'm doing here. 
I think Jesus sees that in the hearts of his disciples. He, he knows their temptation to join that crowd, to force him to be king. And so he sends them away. In the boat, he gets alone. He spends time in prayer. What we'll see as we work our way through this chapter is that really this, these, these verses, it's, it's the grace of God to his disciples. They've witnessed this, this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen Jesus dismiss the crowd. That had to be disappointing. But in just a few verses, they'll see Jesus walking on water. And in that, he's reassuring them, I am who you think I am, who, who you know I am. But that's not the way to do it. Follow me. Listen to me. Obey me. So Jesus has separated his disciples. He's gone away into a pr- to, to the mountains to pray. They got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Jesus had sent them on. They were expected to meet Jesus later. Here we see the, the setting. It was already dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea arose because a great storm was blowing. It's oftentimes in the book of of John that we see light and darkness are themes. And I think there's a little bit of play on this. I I wouldn't read too much into it, but the fact that Jesus is gone and, and John states it's dark. The absence of Jesus, the light of the world, the darkness of sin. But it is dark. The disciples are, are, are on the sea and there's a storm that has arose. It is dark and stormy. It's the good beginning to, to a scary story. It was a dark and stormy night. The sea arose. The waves were huge. This was a normal thing for the Sea of Galilee, which is the lowest point on, earth, uh, on, on, line, on land. And the contrast between the, the, the low sea and the high mountains beside it as the air rushes down causes these storms to rise up. This wouldn't have been terribly unusual for these fishermen, these men who grew up in this area. They knew this. But it didn't make the storm any easier. Right? We grow, many of us are, well, we're all in Iowa, but we all, many of us grew up here, right? There's snow each winter. That doesn't make it any easier, but we've learned to deal with it. It's a part of life. So this storm is not terribly unique. It's a big storm. It's a storm that now they have to fight against to get where they are going. But the storm itself is not the point in this passage. Verses 16 to 18 serve to to kind of set the scene, to lay the land for us. Jesus has gone off. The disciples are in a boat. It is night. It is dark. It is stormy. Then we see the struggle. The sea has arisen. A great, 
There's that word again, a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, three or four miles against the winds and the waves, helplessly thrown off course. In fact, Matthew says that they're somewhere in the middle of the sea. Matthew 14, 25 and Mark 6, 48 tell us that it is now the fourth watch of the night, that somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. They've been fighting this storm all night. What had originally started as a, as a quick trip from, from this point to this point has turned into a storm and turned into an all-night battle that has thrown them off course. They did not plan for this. In fact, imagine how, how exhausted they must be. They have just spent all day with Jesus as he taught a crowd of over 20,000 people. In fact, they didn't just sit and watch. They were actively involved in giving food to every single one of those people. They had to be exhausted by the time they climbed into this boat. They were looking forward to get to Capernaum to be able to, to rest. And then the storm comes up. And instead of resting, now they've been fighting this storm all night long. Their backs are sore. Their arms are burning. Their eyes are stinging. They are exhausted. They are off course. They are frustrated. They are angry. And then it goes on. It says they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat. Matthew in Mark tells us that, that they thought that at first he was a ghost. Surely our eyes are deceiving us. We're tired. We're worn out. We're fighting this storm. It's hard to see. Surely we can't be seeing what we think we are seeing. They didn't recognize him at first. They weren't expecting him. Matthew 14, 26 and Mark 6, 49. They're afraid because they think he is a ghost as it gives us a little bit more detail in those passages. But it's not. It is Jesus who is walking on the sea, drawing near the boat. Now for us, that's a, that's a story that we've heard our whole lives if you've grown up in church. But don't let that take away the awe of what is happening here. Jesus is walking on the sea in the middle of a storm. A storm that has grown a, thrown a boat of experienced sailors off course into the middle of the sea. And Jesus is walking as one man. drawing near the boat. He's coming to them. Again, that tells us something of the grace of God here. Jesus knew exactly where they were. 
The Sea of Galilee is 64 square miles. It's the size of Washington, D.C. And yet Jesus knew where they were. Jesus came to them. He was drawing near them. This was no accident. As Jesus knew how he was going to feed the crowd, as, as John, at the beginning of John 6, it tells us, he asked his disciples, but he already knew what he was going to do. He wasn't going to let that crowd go hungry. So Jesus here, he knows what's going on. He's not going to let his disciples drown. He knows where they are. He knows what they're going through. And he is coming to them. They were afraid. They don't expect this. They're going to meet Jesus on, on the land at Capernaum. No one in their right mind would expect this. This is not normal. Men don't walk on water. And that's the point. Men don't walk on water. Jesus is not just a normal man. He is fully man and fully God. As he's drawing near them, he says to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. It's I. It is me. Your friend, your teacher, your savior. Don't be afraid. I think there's probably a double meaning to that, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me. I'm coming in peace. And don't be afraid of the storm around you because I am here. Because I am the Lord of the wind and the waves, and I am here. And that's what you see in verse 21. We've seen the storm, the struggle, and now we see the Savior. They hear him, they listen, and then they accept him. They willingly received him into the boat. Their eyes cannot believe what they see, but their hearts do. And they receive him. Come in the boat. In fact, Matthew 14 records Peter's reaction, where, where not only does he take comfort in the fact, okay, good, Jesus is here, but he jumps out and he says, Jesus, let me come to you. Let me walk on the water. He takes action. He jumps into the sea to walk to Jesus. You know the rest of that story. He, he then takes his eyes off of Jesus and, and gets distracted by the waves and he starts to sink. And Jesus pulls him up and says, Ye of little faith. Which really makes me feel bad because I don't know that I would have had the faith to jump in the water to begin with. But that's my point. the illustration that I started with. Why does John include this story, but why does he take off all these amazing parts that we know from other passages? Why doesn't he include Peter walking on the water? Why doesn't he include all these, all these other things? It's just, it's very bare bones. 
because he has a purpose that he's accomplishing. His purpose is not Peter walking. His purpose is who Jesus is. They willingly received him. They trusted him. They found peace in him. It reminds me of the Philippians 4 passage where, where Paul is writing to the church of Philippi and he says, don't worry, but trust. And the peace of God will surpass, that that surpasses all understanding will be yours. That peace was there in that boat. It didn't make sense for them to not worry. When someone's walking on the water towards you, when you're in the middle of a storm, when you've been thrown off course, it doesn't make sense to have peace. But the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can be yours because the God who surpasses all understanding is yours. And he is the one who is walking towards them. And he is the one who says, be calm. Really, there's two miracles here. There's the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, and then there's the miracle that comes here at the end of verse 21. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. We know from Matthew that they had been in the middle of the lake. They had been thrown off course, and yet when Jesus gets there, they are immediately where they were going. Jesus transports them supernaturally and safely to the destination where they were getting. That's not how they planned to get there. But Jesus knew what he was doing all along. And even though they didn't get there how they planned, they got there how God planned, they got there. They got there safely. a short passage and it seems wedged in an odd place. But it's put here purposely. And there are many times throughout the Gospels where I think what an experience that would have been. Can you imagine being there on that boat? I imagine this is one of those nights that none of these disciples would ever forget. They'd already seen Jesus calm the storm. That was, that, that was Matthew, and, and Matthew, that's several chapters before this. They'd seen Jesus calm the storm, and they had wondered aloud, who is this that has power over the sea, over nature, over the winds and the waves? Who is this man? And I think that this is included here because it's, it, it's the grace of God. Jesus is reminding his disciples, I am still the one who has power over the wind and waves. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. My kingdom will come, but the time's not right now. I'm not to be forced by these crowds. I will reign. What's interesting is that this is the first miracle in John that we've come across where it specifically deals with the disciples. 
We've seen with Nathaniel where Jesus knew where he was. It's one thing to, to see the power of God, right? right? They've witnessed. They've heard John the Baptist. They were there at Jesus' baptism. They, they watched the miracle at the wedding in Cana. They heard Jesus' interaction with the official in Galilee as his son was healed 20 miles away. They saw Jesus' work in Samaria. They saw the lame man walk in Jerusalem. They passed out food to 5,000 people. They saw, they had front row seats to all these miracles. And yet it's something entirely different and more personal. When you are the one in the boat, when you are the one being tossed and turned, when your muscles are the ones that are burning, and Jesus shows up. I imagine at 1.30 a.m. as their muscles ached and they're fighting this storm and they've had no sleep and their boat is threatening to break apart that they were probably not rejoicing in the Lord at that time. They were probably working over in their minds between rows as their muscles are hurting. What is Jesus doing? Where is he? Why isn't he here? Why didn't he accept the worship of those people? But Jesus knew. He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what they were going through. And as Jesus did not lead the crowd into the wilderness to starve, he did not lead his disciples, send his disciples out into the ocean to drown. He knew exactly where they were, and he knew exactly what he would do. And I can guarantee you that looking back, the disciples would not have traded the struggle all night long against the winds for anything. Because they got to see Jesus' power on display. They got to see Jesus walking on the water. They got to experience Jesus putting them at their destination. And it was all worth it in the end. Every second of their burning muscles. It was worth it in the end. As we come to this passage, it's a purposeful and a powerful display of Jesus' power and authority. It's a reminder that I am the Son of God. I am in control. Trust me. Keep trusting me. Trust that I am doing the right thing in the right time. Trust that I know what I am doing. And notice that the disciples respond rightly to Jesus. They willingly receive him and they worship him. They're willing to set aside their expectations and to learn from Jesus. Unlike the crowd, unlike the 5,000 at the beginning of chapter 6, who will force him. In fact, next week, probably the week after next week, um, 
as we go on in this chapter, we'll see once again, this crowd comes back to Jesus and Jesus rebukes them and he says, you're only following me because of what you think I can do for you. Because you think I can give you bread. You're not, you don't care about me. You don't listen to me. You don't believe me. But the disciples do. They believe. They accept. And they worship. They respond rightly to the Son of God. John 6, verses 16 to 21, is put in here to remind us of who Jesus is. We've seen these great miracles. We've been reminded time and time again. And yet there's something more personal about these verses. It's Jesus interacting with his disciples. I've not forgotten about you. As my disciples, as I've been interacting with these huge crowds, as I've been healing people all over, I have not forgotten about you. You are my disciples. 